Hello, and welcome back to the Thoracic Oncology Assembly serial podcast regarding lung cancer screening. Today, Drs. Rivera, Wiener, and I will talk about nodule surveillance, how to do it, whose guidelines to follow, and how to tell patients. Let's get started. What or whose surveillance recommend, recommendations are you guys following and why? And uh, Patricia, maybe I'll let you start with this one. Uh, yes, we are following the lung rads. Um, recommendations. Um, we um, have a, a multidisciplinary screening program and also have our uh, lung cancer screening registry that's up and running. And collectively, um, a decision was made which included the radiologists, the pulmonologists, thoracic surgeons, but also members of internal medicine and family practice who have joined our sort of multidisciplinary effort uh, to conduct screening in a um, responsible um, way. Um, the decision was made to um, follow the lung rats um, recommendations. The screening CTs are read using the lung rats criteria and the radiologist um, will make recommendations about follow-up depending on lung rats criteria. But we also have um, internally devised an algorithm for lung rats three and four uh, to make it um, easier for physicians um, in that for patients who are not screened through the screening clinic if they're screened by an internist or a family practitioner so we have guidelines to uh, make it easier for clinicians and patients and also um, efforts that we are trying to make to to ensure that patients don't um, fall through um, without follow-up. Um, all lung rats for patients are, um, and this is stated on our uh, report, are immediately or recommendation is made to refer to the multidisciplinary thoracic oncology program. If it's a lung rats 3 uh, that is detected um, uh, within the screening clinic, we have a multidisciplinary uh, screening program discussion, and that's documented in EPIC, and we'll make recommendations regarding follow-up, six months, three months, PET, ex or biopsy. Um, but that's done collectively, so the radiologist, the surgeon, and I will meet and we'll discuss. The lung rats fours go to the multidisciplinary thoracic oncology uh, program and are discussed at that time um, in our multidisciplinary program uh, conference. Um, I think gotcha. I think that's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, Renda, do you, are you guys using lung rads too? We are also using lung rads, and our process is very similar to what Patricia described. Uh, the only exception being that we um, have, as part of the recommendation for both lung rads category three and four, to refer to the uh, multidisciplinary pulmonary nodule slash thoracic oncology clinic. Gotcha. And it seems like what I've heard, uh, it seems like most people are. Um, moving into the to just using lung rads instead of Fleischner or some other criteria. I know within the VA we're you know sort of um, also going to be using lung rads. And and Renda, maybe I'll ask you because um, I know you are part of a, a study that's thinking about this. Do you think um, uh, my sense? You know, obviously lung rads aren't evidence based in terms of a follow up um, uh, guideline. And so I'm just curious what your thoughts are on. Um, how to make them more evidence-based, or is that going to be a problem that we're following, you know, that everyone's following guidelines that aren't evidence-based at this time? Chris, I think you're absolutely right that uh, not only lung rads, but none of the um, pulmonary nodule evaluation uh, algorithms out there, like Fleischner, the British Thoracic Society, NCCN, 
None of them are based on high-quality evidence. They're mostly based on low-quality evidence and expert opinion. So, um, uh, as you know, um, there's a large multi-center trial funded through uh, the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute that Michael Gould is the uh, PI of that is comparing uh, more versus less so um, that will provide us with some evidence, uh, you know, the first high-quality evidence as to, you know, um, what the most appropriate surveillance intervals should be. Yeah. Well, I think it's really interesting, you know, sort of, uh, you know, following these guidelines with really, you know, and it seems like there's been a wholesale move to them, um, you know, again, despite no evidence. And so I think it's going to be an interesting time as we hopefully, you know, figure out if these are the right uh, recommendations to follow. Um, and one question I had, I guess, is you, you sort of alluded to this, I think, um, in your when you were discussing before about long rads, you know, three versus four. But I'm just curious at each of your institutions, who's, who tells the patient about the nodule? Um, so, at um, again, if they if it's a patient that's come through the screening clinic, um, they get the CAT scan done at the same day, and the CAT scan is read by the radiologist real time. So. At the time the patient comes, you know, they just have to come back across the hall for, for to the screening clinic. They'll get that information on the same day. Um, in the internal medicine and family medicine clinic, the referring physician who orders the screening CT contacts the patient. And what the radiologists here are doing is that they're communicating with the referring physician if it's someone that's not affiliated with the screening clinic or the, or the or the multidisciplinary nodule slash lung cancer program to ensure that, hey, you know, this is a concerning finding, um, but it's it's the requesting physician. Mm-hmm. That's currently, that's what we're doing. Now, we are, because of our lung cancer registry, um, if we capture those patients um, into our registry, we're tracking patients um, and tracking findings. And in fact, picked up that two patients with lung rats, three had not had follow-up. So the registry has become sort of another safety net, if you will, um, to follow up and ensure that patients are are getting the appropriate follow-up. And Renda, does your system work similarly in that people get, or most people get the uh, get their CAT scans and have it read on the same day, or is yours a little different? No, no, it's not. So ours, uh, there is no same day process like that for patients to receive their results. So what happens is um, patients get their CAT scan, they go back home. For people who are lung rads one or two, which will be the vast majority of patients, they receive a letter, actually, um, from the screening program, um, you know, with their results. And then it's up to the discretion of the individual ordering physician whether they want to, you know, also call the patient or have a visit or anything like that. For patients with uh, categories three or four, um, they do eventually get a letter. That's just a sort of a um, you know safety mechanism to make sure everybody knows about the nodule. But there's um, the, the the screening program will call the ordering or or contact the ordering um, clinician and say your patient had this finding. You know we suggest you call the patient to tell them gotcha. the results and send it, rather than relying on the letter. Gotcha. But you don't directly call the patient yourself. You rely on the the ordering provider. Correct, correct. Yeah, it's up to the ordering provider. Sometimes I think, you know, if the ordering provider 
kind of pushes back and, and doesn't want to for some reason, I think the screening program will do that, but it's the preference that the person who has a relationship with the patient, which is, you know, more typically the PCP than the screening program, is the one who gives them the information. Gotcha. And then are you using um, any sort of patient education tools when you, when either to give to the providers uh, directly or, or maybe, Patricia, when you are, you know, seeing the, the patients in real time? Um, so I actually uh, put together bracelets. Um, I think, Renda, I showed you one. So I'm not sure if – I think I gave Frank one as a present. But I, um, So I put together these bracelets that have um, – uh, beads uh, in sizes that start from four millimeters um, up to three centimeters. Um, the beads um, include um, a ground glass uh, bead, which is a sea glass bead to define what a ground glass uh, nodule is. Also, there's a bead that um, is a mixed GGO um, to ground glass with a dense um, component. And then I have a larger bead that has spiculated um, edges that I use to define, you know, more concerning nodules. So I use that visual tool. I used to have isolated beads that disappeared. <laughs> so, huh. and everyone in the clinic, so my nurse, myself, um, the surgeon, um, I made sure his were pink and purple, uh, and um, our interventional pulmonologist, everyone has the beads. Um, I'm probably the one that uses it the most. I think that visual aid really helps patients um, so they can appreciate, you know, differences between a four millimeter and a one centimeter or 1.5 centimeter nodule. In addition yeah. to that, as part Do you of wear yours, like, are you wearing yours right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wear really? it all the time, <laughs> Monday oh, through man, Friday. So awesome. mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, oh, that's, I, that's I have cool. several ones because I've made <laughs> ones with different shapes um, so to to mimic um, irregular nodules, speculated nodules. Um, uh -huh. So I I wear them Monday through Friday. Um, wow! And, we're totally gonna um, we're gonna tweet that for sure. So I need to get it. Remind me at the end, and we'll get yeah. I I made one for <laughs> I think Frank and Lynn Tanui asked me. Um, I gave one to Frank as a present, but um, and UNC you know made a couple. I, I make I make them myself. I go to the beach shop on Saturdays and make them, but they're very helpful. I think patients really. Um, really can, you know, when you see it visualized, there's so many people that need to visualize when they look at a CT scan, is that enough? We show patients all the scans. Um, and we also have a pamphlet um, as part of our screening program um, that, that we have three pamphlets. One is what to expect from screening. There's another pamphlet, what if a nodule is found, and that has all information. It also has the size of the nodules. What does, you know, PET scan mean? What does a needle biopsy mean? All the things that potentially could happen if you have a nodule. And then the third pamphlet is, of course, a smoking cessation pamphlet. Um, so we use, I, that's what I, I do for patients. It's it's a lot of effort. Um, but I think, uh, you know, years ago when, you know, nodules, patients were like, oh, okay, I think it's become a lot more important to really show patients and define uh, what we're seeing in these CAT scans and when we're concerned and when we're not concerned. Because for a patient, oh, you have a nodule, don't worry about it, I'll see you in six months, that that can mean a lot of things, um, different things for different people. Um, so I have found that these visual aids um, have helped patients. At least that's the feedback I've gotten back from patients. Yeah, no, that's super cool. I think I, I never thought about that, so that, that's really neat. 
Brenda, how about you? I'll show it to you, you at ATS. To? I'll make. I'll, yeah, I I'll, maybe one. I'll make I them. Totally, I, I, I want one of those. I'm going to wear it seven days a week, so just to be a little bit better than you. But but still. Well, that's, that's, I'll show I'm them. I'll impressed. bring them to to ATS. I used to have the single beads, and I think um, who oh when we were at the your the ATS workshop that um, you ran that you two ran. Remember about uh, the screening clinic? I yeah. brought my beads with me and. Um, Dr. Kissinger actually made, loved them. She was sitting next to me, and she made necklaces for, um, with beads for people in um, some of the VA programs who were participating in the VA screening. Huh, um, but I actually, fa- <laughs> yeah. But I actually, since then, I've made, um, I've made beads. So I'll, I'll bring them to APS yeah. and. Oh, cool. I'll yeah. show you. Yeah, because I don't, I don't look very good in a necklace, but a, a bracelet, I think <laughs> I could, I could probably pull that off. <laughs> That's cool, Rendo. How about you? Is that, since you're not doing it in person as much, I'm just you know curious how how you guys handle the education piece. So we actually, I'm um, we don't have there the the program at, at Boston Medical Center does not have um, routinely putting in use a um, a nodule education uh, pamphlet. We do have ones for. Um, the decision about whether to screen, but not for if a nodule is found. But I'm very pleased to report that now there's the one through the American Thoracic Society that I think you know could be a useful tool for patients um, to help them understand what what having a nodule is all about. Cool. Yeah, and we'll um, post a link to that in our uh, uh, along when when this podcast gets presented too. So cool. And then I'm just curious. Um, there's a recent paper by Nicole Tanner. Um, and, and her colleagues had found a high rate of non-adherence to diagnostic guidelines for intermediate risk nodules. And I'm curious um, how you feel. Maybe I'll start with Renda. Um, Renda, so how do we improve adherence to these guidelines? Yeah, so that is a great uh, question. Um, so Nicole's study was really a fantastic study showing that the rates of biopsy were the same um, biopsy and surgical resection, I guess, invasive procedures, regardless of the risk of uh, the pretest probability of cancer, high, low, or, or intermediate, which was really amazing. Um, I think one step in the right direction to improve adherence is, um, or, or, yeah, adherence to guidelines is um, the movement that has been made with um, with the screening guidelines and the uh, like lung rads, for example, of having standardized reporting, having standardized recommendations inserted as to um, you know into the uh, report where a nodule is um, is identified through screening. Um, you know, I think time and again, studies have shown that the number one predictor of how what kind of evaluation a patient receives is what is recommended in the radiologist report. So um, I think that's one step in the right direction. I hope, in terms of uh, improving um, consistency with guideline recommendations. Indeed, I mean, I guess getting back to sort of our first question about how those those guideline recommendations aren't uh, um, evidence-based per se, do you, do you think that there should be some sort of quality measure for a program about how often they're following those uh, guidelines or how often their patients actually, um, you know, get CAT scans Get surveillance CAT scans according to the, the uh, say like the long ride schedule. Uh, 
Um, you know, it's a really interesting question because um, because the evidence base is not great. So I guess one could argue, why do we need to follow these guidelines? Who's to say that that's the right thing? I think one important thing um, to remember, given that we don't have the, the right answer as to what the exact appropriate um, evaluation should be, is that this is something that we should involve our patients in and take their preferences into account as well in terms of... Um, you know, frequency of follow-up within, say, within a guideline-recommended interval, or, you know, whether or not to get or surgery done, I think the patient should be included in that decision-making, given that there's no clear-cut right answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Patricia, what are, what are your thoughts? I, I agree. I think um, what I've learned um, in the last few years involved in the screening program is that engaging the patients in these decisions really makes a difference um, because I think a lot of patients come in sort of on the ledge, right? They just, oh, my God, I have a nodule. I've had so many patients, you know, I, I must have it removed. And on the other hand, I've had patients with very, you know, very concerning nodules who don't want anything done. And I think that kind of, of discussion is critical for both the patient and the physician, nurse practitioner, whoever is involved in in managing that nodule. Um, I struggle, um, as we all do, because they're not evidence-based guidelines. Um, They're really, I think, expert-based guidelines. Now, you might say the Fleischner guidelines have been around for a long, long while, and the guidelines that were adopted by the American College of Chest Physicians. Um, and for many, many years, those were the guidelines that I really followed. Um, um, and I, I think that even though they're not evidence-based, boy, boy, in my experience, I've been doing this for 20 years, it's, they've proven to be pretty, pretty good, eh? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, um, you know, the hardest thing and the thing that I struggle with are, are the, the ground glass nodules, you know, these, these little ipsy pipsy nodules, and that's why I like lung rads um, because I do think that it gives you more um, t- interval, if you will, um, wait time for these um, nodules that I think we still don't know uh, enough about and don't really understand. Um, yeah, but well, I think that's going to be the. I think that's going to be the crux of these guidelines. Is you know, are we waiting too long, right? Are we having patients who, right, right, right. you know, would have, uh, you know, gotten diagnosed with an early stage and then get diagnosed, you know, because we waited on, on a CAT scan with more later stage disease, which I think that's relatively unlikely versus the sort of, um, I don't know if it's exactly the same thing, but sort of um, an overdiagnosis, you know, or an over-treatment, right. you know, kind of biased by, you know, sort of taking, you know, all these folks to, you know, some sort of, um, you know, surgical therapy, you know, too early, right, when otherwise right. we could have just, you know, continued, you know, serial surveillance. I agree. And I think what's also changing our our approach to these nodules are diagnostic uh, tools such as navigational bronchoscopy, particularly combined with, you know, we're doing a study where we're looking at um, endobronchial brushes in patients with indeterminate nodules, to see if they have, you know, AD gene array, um, any abnormalities that might be predictive that that nodule is is more concerning. And it leads to one of the questions that you have um, provided for us, and that is how do we use tumor markers and when will we utilize tumor markers to help us better um, 
understand these nodules and manage these nodules, and we're not there yet. We are, um, or at least we're hoping to be able to collect um, blood from our screening patients. We're just waiting for funding to be able to store the specimens until we know what what we need to do with them. Um, but that's certainly something that's going to be very helpful. If we had other markers that would help predict which of these nodules are indeed more concerning, because it, it's easy for us when the appearance of the nodule is so suspicious or it's just so solid and round and smooth and, you know, or calcified. I mean, it just makes it so easy. It's, it's you know, 90% of the nodules that are hard, the, the indeterminate ones. Um, but I worry. I have to say I, I really worry about um, the I, – when I read Nicole's paper, you know, that, that we're just doing so many procedures on patients. Um, and and it's not without uh, complications. Um, I, yeah. I, I just, you know, we have so many more tools now, right? And yeah, yeah. we just have to no, be I think really careful. It's a lot harder to not – in my, you know – Experience. It seems like it's a lot harder to not do something than it is to do something in these situations. Mhm. Mhm. And I think the the sort of feedback you get when you take out a cancer is really uh, powerful feedback for doing it. You know, that same way the next time, as opposed to you know, kind of a watchful waiting approach. Right. So I guess Randall, and this section maybe with a question, just sort of a follow up question for you. Do you do you in your program? use any biomarkers to, you know, help assess the sort of likelihood of, um, you know, malignancy or need to get a, uh, uh, some sort of more definitive therapy now as opposed to uh, doing uh, surveillance CAT scans? No, we don't. Not as part of our routine clinical practice. We do, you know, have um, studies underway about that. Um, you know, Avi Spira is, is here at BU and is very actively involved in research in that area, but we don't have, uh, we don't routinely use them as part of clinical practice. Thank you so much for listening to our discussion. If you're interested in the nodule education piece Dr. Wiener mentioned, you can find it at www.thoracic.org slash patients. Dr. Nicole Tanner's study was published in CHEST in December of 2015. For our next edition, we're going to talk about diagnosing lung nodules and treating lung cancer. And here, Dr. Rivera say, You know, I can count in one hand the number of, of cases that have gone to surgery for benign nodules in 20 years. Now, to me, that's high because it should be zero, right? Until next time. <laughs>